welcome back to Living More of a Life, the podcast which aims to raise awareness of issues which can stop us living more of a life. Today I have with me Niraj Kapoor. Originally from Northern Ireland, he is the author of two best-selling books and he now co-hosts a podcast called Thrive in Sales, which brings together the worlds of sales training and well-being. Niraj is very aware that men over the age of 45 can feel that they become irrelevant in society, reflected in suicide rates. He himself has had various areas of his life crumble whilst other areas have thrived. His interpretation of success has dramatically changed, but he does believe that to achieve great things in life, you often have to endure hardships. He's learned to take care of himself, to slow down a bit and to give more to the world. I'm so proud of this podcast you've created and I'm so happy this journey you're on and to be here kind of sharing my thoughts with you and your listeners is, is such a an honor so thank you so much. What does it mean to you to live more of a life? Well most people wake up every day and they're often on autopilot or quite often people just wake up and they're angry and frustrated and to live a better life is to live a life of fulfillment. That means being grateful every day. It means enjoying what you do. It means getting great fulfillment from what you do. And it also means helping as many people as possible as you can in your life, not just in your job, but outside your job as well. That's a really nice way of putting it. What do you do that fills you with purpose? Um, there's a couple of things. So I, I wake up in the morning and for at least two hours, I don't check my phone. As you will know, because you texted me early this morning, I didn't reply to like 10 minutes ago <laughs> because I don't, I, don't, I don't look at my phone for at least two hours from waking up. Looking at your phone and looking at your email, just don't do it first thing in the morning. Allow time to yourself, you know, to be grateful for what you have, uh, whether it's your home, whether it's my warm water, whether it's my shaving equipment, whether it's the fact I have a lovely coffee machine downstairs, the fact I live in a beautiful house. The fact I have a garden outside, I can hear birds singing, you know, just wake up in a state of absolute bliss and gratitude. Uh, the second thing is I, I then go to my local lake or forest or wood and I spend 20 minutes preparing my head for the day. So I'm in nature. Nature is fantastic for well-being. And, you know, this really almost guarantees that every day I have a wonderful day. I come back home. I spend half an hour in personal development. And then around about half past eight, quarter to nine. That's when I check my emails and that's when I get into my work. And it means I'm in such a good, positive place, Jane, that I know I'm going to have a good day. And, and, and the final thing is you've you got to review your day. Don't review your day before you go to bed. Review your day at lunch. How are you going so far? Review your day at six o'clock. How am I going so far? And these things are really, really important because sometimes you miss things because you're so busy. And one thing I do every day is I always try and do one nice thing for somebody. So it can be sharing their business on LinkedIn. It can be making a charity donation. It's all about just doing one nice thing to help somebody else. That's a really good way of looking at that. Thank you. And what do you do in your life for others that brings you pleasure or comfort um, or makes you just feel that uh, you're getting more from life as well? I would say the main thing probably is my charity work. 
So I used to just give, you know, 10% of everything I earned went to charity. And that's a very nice thing to do. It's something I learned through my personal development. Uh, the Egyptians called it tithing, which is you give 10% of everything to your church, to your you know, community, to other people. And in the last two years, I've kind of changed that. Not only do I give 10%, but I actually get involved in my community. So, for example, I'm not an ambassador for Milton Keynes Hospital. I don't just give money. I'm an ambassador. I'm a spokesperson for their cancer center. I go out and I help people. And I don't just give money to Will and Hospice every month. My company is now a corporate sponsor for Will and Hospice. And I get involved and I do sales training for free to help people out. Uh, in two days' time, I'm off to see Ride High, which is a charity which helps disadvantaged children with the therapy of horses. So all I'm trying to do is just every single day, every single week, what can I do to help other people? Because that just makes you very happy in life and it makes you very content. It means you don't waste time blaming the government blaming your family, blaming the whole world for your problems. So I would say that charity work is without a doubt the thing I do the most. But I think the second thing is, is through my coaching. You know, a lot of people think sales coaching and they immediately go, oh God, sales coaching, that's terrible. You know, the word sales makes so many people cringe. But what I'm doing is I'm helping people's businesses. I'm helping their livelihoods by teaching them selling with integrity, by giving them advice. And when you see people's careers improve because of advice you've given, it fills you with so much contentment. I can imagine. I can imagine. And when I met you, um, you're very personable. Um, you remember people's names. You remember something about them. Uh, and you make a real effort to to make a connection uh, with them. What do you What do you think is the reason why you take that effort to to connect with people, to to do things for people? Where, where did that come from? Well, I'm quite lucky because um, my mother and father are now, well, they're both retired now, but they've done charity work most of their lives. And seeing my father go from just a very, my father had two emotions, anger and hunger. <laughs> that was it. That's all I ever saw from the man. I'm hungry and then being angry. And once he discovered charity work, um, his, his life kind of changed for the better. And he just became a happier person. And in 2014, seeing him getting a, MBE from Prince Charles at Buckingham Palace it was truly a great moment. And him and my mother are now full-time philanthropists. All they do is just give back to the communities in Northern Ireland. And then they spend a lot of time in India helping out, uh, in many cases, orphanages, but helping out people who are struggling. And they're two of the happiest people I know. That's it. They're just the happiest people. And it's because they're always giving and always caring. Now, when you meet people at networking events or in general, the first thing people say is, what do you do? <laughs> you know, they just want to think, how can I get business from this person? But I, I find in life, if you're genuinely interested in people, it just makes everything better. You can call it karma. You can call it good vibes. But just showing interest in people, you know, there's no saying people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's a great philosophy to live by in life. It's a very good saying, that actually, isn't it? And you're in sales and I have been in sales for, for many years as well um, there is a certain negativity towards sales um, even even for me you know I still feel uncomfortable with the word sales um, mainly because of how it is perceived uh, but the truth of it is I guess the, the kind of premise of your of your first book of um, everybody works in sales but 
anybody who has their own business or anybody who wants their own way or wants to achieve something or achieve something on behalf of somebody else, you need to learn how to sell, right? Absolutely, 100%. Uh, the problem is exactly what you've said. It's got such a bad reputation. If you look at the most high-profile salespeople, uh, you've got the Wolf of Wall Street, somebody who lied, cheated, and stole from people. <laughs> you know, and he's the most popular one around because of the movie. It was a fantastic movie for entertainment purposes, but a terrible movie for sales. Um, the second most high-profile person in the world in sales is Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone is so aggressive. And I don't approve of his behavior. I actually was an event where he spoke. I wanted to see why is this guy so popular? And he's a great motivational speaker. When it came to selling, he was absolutely appalling. I couldn't believe how bad he was. And, you know, these people are very loud and they're very big on social media and they get all the kind of wrong attention. And unfortunately, if you do that, you get attention. Whereas when I talk about selling with integrity and being nice and being kind, it doesn't appeal to the masses. And that, that does frustrate me at times because I want, you know, most people I know who work in sales are genuinely good people. They genuinely care for their customers and they really want to help. But, you know, if you're kind, if you're supportive, if you want to help people, I got an amazing following, but it's a very small following. It's never going to go into the millions because that's not how it works yet, sadly, in sales. True. And have you ever had to sell something you just don't believe in? Um, to my amazement, no. I've been very, very lucky, actually, with that. I've been very, very lucky. Because when I worked for 10 years in magazines, I love the magazine I worked for. When I spent six years at The Guardian, we were launching in 2006. The world digital media and social media was brand new to everybody. And I, I was very lucky. I got a chance to meet the directors at, at Microsoft, at BT, people I couldn't even meet now. <laughs> but in 2006, it was so new. And the, the Guardian newspaper group really used to mean something in media in 2006. It doesn't really mean much now, the Guardian. But 10, 15 years ago, it really meant something. And I was lucky to meet those people. And I was selling conferences and exhibitions that I absolutely loved and believed in. And when I went to Informa and I, I traveled around the world, doing shipping events, shipping conferences, and, and meeting people. Again, it was just a thrill because people in China will do business so differently to the Middle East. And people in the Middle East are so different to people in Canada. you know. And people in Canada are so different to people in America. And I, I really enjoyed that. And, I, you know, if you love what you do, I don't believe in this saying, if you love what you do, You'll never work a day. I really don't believe that. <laughs> when I work 12 hours a day, I feel it. <laughs> I don't do 12 hours a day and go, this is brilliant. No, I feel tired after 12 hours. I really do. Um, at the same time, if you love what you do, it, it does make it easier. And you can also achieve a lot more. And it also means when you have setbacks, you're able to go that bit further because you really love what you do. Have you ever burnt out? Yes, um, sadly, I did um, in 2010. I was at the Gu just about to have six years of success at The Guardian. And they'd ma been making redundancy since 2008. Uh, because 2008, we had a terrible recession. And in 2010, I was brought into the office by the MD. He thanked me for all my success, all the money I'd made for The Guardian. And he says, look, we have to make more cutbacks. We have to let you go. I said, that's the dumbest decision you could. Why would you let me go? I'm successful. I make money for this business. Go now, we're going to replace you with the graduates and we're going to save £35,000 a year. I said, yes, but the graduates going to lose money. They're not going to, the show will collapse. It just, it won't work. But, you know, when you try and talk to board directors, 
or C-suite people, unfortunately, majority of them think they're always right. And as a result, they make a lot of bad decisions. So I, I lost my job at The Guardian. Uh, there was no farewell party after six years. I, I was hurt and I was very angry at how I'd been treated. And I went in a very bad downward spiral. And at the same time, I started losing my hair. <laughs> now, I would go to job interviews, bald, feeling very self-conscious. I was angry I'd lost my job. And of course, nobody wants to hire somebody who's angry. So I couldn't find work for a few months. And that was a shock. And I got more angry and more frustrated every interview I had. So nobody wanted to hire me. And I was in a really bad place. And my wife at the time and my father both said to me, look, you have a depression. You're going through a midlife crisis. I don't feel like a man anymore. I can't pay the bills. I can't find work. It was a very bad place I was in, Jim. And of course, when you have a depression, most of the time you don't recognize the depression. Um, and I said, OK, well, what do I do? Because I'm so unhappy. I'm so angry and I'm so frustrated and I can't seem to control this. And we went to WH Smith the next day uh, to look at some books and self-help. And I walked into the self-help section um, with the greatest of respect. It was full of middle-aged to elderly ladies and cardigans and sandals. And I thought, oh, my goodness, no, I, ca I can't be here. There's no man. And I rushed back downstairs to the sports section, which is my happy place. <laughs> and <laughs> right next to the sports section was this magazine called Success, How to Improve Your Life. And I think it was one of those very lucky moments in life. I thought, oh, what is this? And I started reading it. And it was incredibly emotional because it said, I'm 100% responsible for my life. I'm like, oh, I can't blame the guardian. I can't blame the environment. I can't blame the fact that every time I go for jobs, I'm the oldest person in the room. No, no, I'm responsible. And I said, the secret to living is giving. Because at that point, I hadn't really given much to charity in life. My attitude was always like many people, I'll give when I have money, which is a terrible attitude to have, but that was the attitude I had. And it was, well, if you want to earn more, you have to learn more because a lot of people leave university, Jane, and brag about the fact I'm never reading a book again, ever. And that, I was like that. I hadn't read a book in about, oh my goodness, 15 years, uh, which I'm quite ashamed about now. But at the time, I didn't know any better. And so once I started reading books on personal development and mindset and becoming a better person, my life just changed. And all of a sudden, I found work again and I got a mentor. And I paid for a coach and my career and my life just took off, not just success financially, but success in terms of my marriage, getting a bigger home, having a better life, having nicer holidays. Everything just became better. But unfortunately, I had to fall really, really hard in order for it to get better. And since then, you've made life changes again. I mean, you're, you're no longer with your wife. Is that right? Yeah. So we, we, we had a great life. Um, from 2011 to 2018, it was wonderful. And then two big things happened in 2018. The first thing was that I set my own business up. Now, if you really want to know what stress is, <laughs> give up your job, which guarantees you a payment every month, and set your own business up. And there's a reason 80% of businesses fail in the first five years. In fact, most of them fail in the first two years, really, because it is such an emotional struggle to go from having no a guaranteed salary to no salary. It was kind of scary. And I was a bit naive when I started my business. I figured, you know what? I have 23 years corporate experience. I know this. Of course, it's completely different. I knew very little. And uh, it, it was kind of a shock and scare. And that certainly put a stress in the marriage. Uh, my wife had to support me for the first year of my business. 
which caused a lot of stress. I'm, I'm grateful she did that. And she got it back in the divorce anyway. But, you know, she had to support me. And finally, our daughter, who we both love more than anything in the world, she went to university. And if there's three of you in a family and your child goes to university and you have no family nearby, it's a massive shock to your system. You're walking around the house and it's like you can hear a pin drop. It's so scary. And we both really struggled. And we were both miserable because our family's always been the three of us, me, my wife and my daughter. And we tried date nights and we tried a holiday and it didn't work. And, you know, getting divorced is painful. There's no nice way to say it. It's a horrible process. But in Indian culture, it's magnified because you get in-laws involved, family were against it. Everybody kind of turned against me, saying I was stupid and what I did was wrong. And it was just I should try, I should try harder. And it was just me. I felt like it was me against the world. And then sadly, my health suffered. And just everything kind of went bad in 2019. So I really, yeah, I spent a long time in a very bad place. And that's probably the hardest I've ever fallen in my life was my divorce, without a doubt. And where during this did you learn about self-care, about looking after yourself and ensuring that you had enough in order to be able to give back to your wife or your daughter or everybody else in the world or for your business especially? Well, it's quite interesting. The business only picked up when my mind picked up, <laughs> which is very interesting. Um, after many months of suffering and, you know, GPs trying to, you know, GPs health people with the greatest respect, all they try and do is recommend drugs to you. And prescription drugs are not always the solution. They just weren't. And, you know, uh, taking codeine for my, I started to get arthritis, taking codeine didn't help. And taking various sleeping tablets caused insomnia and nothing, the traditional ways of doing things weren't working. And a friend of mine recommended a walking group because all of a sudden I couldn't exercise anymore. And I started putting weight on. My arthritis meant I couldn't sprint anymore or run. And so I joined a walking group. And many women in this walking group were over 50, 55 years old. Some had been widowed. Uh, some had been through cancer. Uh, many had been through divorce. And they really taught me the importance of self-care, which is something I've never really understood before. And men in general don't really know what self-care is. And self-care is about loving yourself. It's not just buying stuff for yourself. It's actually loving yourself. It's having time for yourself. It's appreciating the quiet moments. And it's knowing it's okay. If you don't have anybody in life to share your life with, it's all right. And that took a lot of adjustment. You know, that's a big process. And it took me about three or four months to really understand it. And once I became a happier person, all of a sudden I dealt with things better. All of a sudden I was a better coach, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, that's how things changed for me. And things have got better and better since. And, you know, now since the divorce, which was very painful, my wife and I now have respect for each other. We're not best pals, sadly, but we talk to each other in a civilized manner because we both love our daughter and we both had 21 years together as a couple and we built a good life together. So at least the mutual respect is still there, which is very important. And we're still there for our daughter, which is also very important, too. Absolutely. And I mean, you found self-care later on in life, having been working quite often. I think you told me in the past six day weeks. Yes. Especially with your business, uh, long days as well. Um, and even when you're off, you're often thinking about it. 
do you think if you'd found self-care and understood fully how to look after yourself when you were first married do you think it would have changed the way your life went and your marriage went um or or how how you perceived things oh 100 percent. when i was married my goal you know was to be successful i wanted to be successful for my family of course as well but because i spent more time with my career and then after my career of course was my daughter and then third place was my wife and that's not a smart way to live your life um if i understood self-care um at a younger age and also taking care of others more at a younger age i can probably guarantee i still be married you know I, I should have given my wife more love in the marriage i should have been there for her more often and that's a regret i have to live with the rest of my life sadly um but yeah you know a lot of people in are younger don't think of things like self-care they don't think of things like legacy they don't think of things like personal growth and i really wish i knew that at a younger age because my life would have been so different. I mean, it's better to discover it later than never, of course, but I really wish I understood these things when I was younger. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's not something that we learn at school. There's no sort of, you know, self-care class is there or anything like that. And you have PE and you have um, science. That's about the closest it gets. Um, <laughs> yeah, here's a, here's a, you know, pig's heart or whatever it is. Um, but we don't actually learn about ourselves at school um usually or at least we didn't back in my day and your day you you were quite focused on success but what did success mean to you and what does success now mean to you success used to mean to me um you know having enough money to pay the bills have nice holidays have a beautiful home have a lovely car i guess the typical cliche things most people think about for success now in my life, as I'm about to turn 48, success is different. I'm very grateful for my lovely house. It's a different house I live in now, smaller house, but I'm still grateful for it. Um, I have a second-hand car. It's not a beautiful, fancy, all singing, all dancing sports car. It's a six-year-old, <laughs> it's a six-year-old car. Um, but success means to me being happy. It means knowing that every day I wake up and I do a job I love to help other people. It's knowing I'm making a big difference in the world, not just as a coach, but in terms of the charity work I do. And it means being able to look in the mirror every day and just being really proud of myself, Jim. That is success. A lot of people don't understand that. They think success is money. You ask most people what is success. They'll say having a nice car, having a holiday home, being rich. And those things are, are, are nice. Don't get me wrong. It's great to have money. I would, I would, I would never criticize having money. But that shouldn't be your focus in life. Your focus in life should be helping others, serving others and taking good care of your health. Absolutely. Because when we first met, you had what you deemed a success. You had a nice house. You had your family. You had your car. You had everything else you needed. And as we've known each other, your life has slowly crumbled in certain areas whilst other areas have started to thrive. I guess it's forced you to reconsider what you see as important um and it's been quite a a hard journey to watch you go through but equally a very good one in the sense that in the long run you would feel so much better absolutely i think in order to really achieve great things in life you have to unfortunately often endure hardships 
I'm not going to complain too much about my hardships. You know, a lot of hardships for me is I can't afford to shop in Waitrose every day. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to talk too much about the hardships. I can't afford a cleaner anymore. You know, (laughs) very very middle class problems, Jane. Um, But certainly, you know, this whole experience, especially divorce and loss and my two best friends, you know, people I thought were my two best friends taking my ex-wife's side in the divorce the things that got affect you quite badly having your health suffer and just being a man over the age of 45 you know uh, we become irrelevant in society the suicide rate among men my age is staggeringly high mental health problems are staggeringly high men in general are not very good at discussing their emotions uh, women are fantastic at it men are terrible at it um, i did a post last week about my mental health battles and even though I was surprised, number of men who commented, majority of men contacted me privately. No woman contacted me privately. They all commented my post. I had about, I don't know, 60 comments. But privately, I had about 30 comments from men who didn't want to comment publicly. They just wanted to say, thank you so much for writing an article. It's really helped me. I didn't know you suffered from a mental health problem. You know, and it's incredible. Men still struggle to discuss this publicly. Yeah. And I really hope that even if one or two men listen to this or if women listen to this and say to their brothers or friends or partners, listen to this. And if one or two people just go, oh, I should take care of myself better. I should slow down a tiny bit, give a bit more to the world. That will make such a big difference to their lives. I promise you. So as a man, you know, I I obviously have a woman's point of view and um, women will um, maybe feel a little bit closer to my journey. But as a man in this situation, if there's somebody else who's listening, who's in their 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, where they're feeling of a similar thing, where they think, hang on, I'm not happy or I'm in an unhappy marriage or I'm feeling, you know, not myself, my, my, my mind isn't what it should be you know, I'm lost. Um, I thought this is what I wanted, but I don't, you know, if they're feeling any of those sort of concepts or, you know, their health is suffering due to their work, what would you recommend that they go and do? I mean, is there a book they should read or a uh, something they should look up or just a genre they should look at? What should a guy go and do in this situation, bearing in mind you've got to feel comfortable in the way that you do it? Um, a lot of men feel very uncomfortable asking for help. So the first thing I'd recommend doing, um, there are just certain books that will really help. So I'm going to I'm going to look at my book bookshelf. So ah, okay. So there's two books here. So what this book is called The Secrets of Health and Happiness by a guy called J. P. Vasvani, V-A-S-W-A-N-I. Another book is called Life's Amazing Secrets by Gaur Gopal Das. That's G-A-U-R-G-O-P-A-L Das, D-A-S. The next thing I'd recommend is get into nature. Uh, Nature is healing. And this time of year especially, we're so lucky in England and the UK to have so much greenery, to have amazing national trusts, to have so many gardens. I mean, we really are. So most people live within about one hour of a, lo- a lovely place like this. And if you're in the countryside, you're kind of spoiled for choice. And where we are, Milton Keynes, I mean, it's just incredible. You know, I went to the lake this morning for half an hour. It was a beautiful walk. You know, on Saturday, I'm off to the woods with a friend just for a walk, just to get into nature, enjoy fresh air, enjoy sunlight. That makes such a good difference. I also recommend keeping a gratitude journal. 
So um, every night before I go to bed, I write down five things I'm grateful for. And that's very important, especially if you've had a bad day. You know, if I have a really bad day, I'm still grateful for the fact that I have a very nice coffee machine at home because I love my coffee. I'm grateful for the fact I have a lovely home. In the winter when it's freezing, it's miserable. I'm grateful for the fact I have central heating. You know, don't just be grateful for the big things in life. Be grateful for the small things in life. And every morning when I wake up, I look at my gratitude journal again. So being grateful, getting into nature, reading good books, this is a good starting point. And then after that, after you've done that, you'll be in a good place to either hire a mindset coach or even join a group like a meetup group and meet other people for walking. Brilliant. So, I mean, the nature one, I think, is probably not too far of a push for most guys. Um, The Gratitude Journal, there is still a stigma on writing down your feelings or your, you know, what you feel grateful for. I think some guys will definitely jump at that and give it a go because why not? You've got nothing to lose. And I think some guys will be like, I'm not doing that. Or that's a bit of a stretch, you know, five things, really. I mean, maybe one. But and, and then I think guys are going to really struggle with this first step. So can we break it down even smaller? Nature, easy. Go for a walk, go for a cycle ride, whatever. What's the the tiny step they can make? You know, in life, there's a saying Tony Robbins has, uh, success leaves clues. And the battles you're, you're currently having, if you're having depression, mental health problems, they're things other people have gone through. So if other people have gone through things in life and they've overcome it, it's a good idea just to ask yourself, well, if they've overcome it, what can I do or what can I learn from them to overcome it? Now, all the successful people I know and all the successful people I've heard of, they all read books or they all, that's almost like a first step for many people, Jane. And I think reading books, especially in today's social media and digital world, has almost become a lost art form in many ways. And, you know, I have a bookshelf at home. I I love technology, by the way. I'm not anti-technology. I love my phone. I probably use my phone more than anything else in the world. At the same time, I turn my phone off twice a day to work. I turn my phone off after seven o'clock at night. I'm usually still working, but I'm not using my phone. I'm not staring at my computer screen. And I'm reading. And, And sometimes in life, I think as much as this world is advancing, Sometimes it's important to go old school because a lot of old school methods still work. And reading for self-improvement is so valuable. And, you know, writing a gratitude journal, I'm not saying write down all your thoughts. A lot of men do struggle with that. But writing down a few things you're grateful for every day, that's not a big ask. And it was something I took to very easily. And if you said to me, look, I want you to write down all your problems, all your pain points, (laughs) that would be a real struggle for me. But writing down a few things a day you're grateful for, that's actually quite simple because I've been through this process myself. I think that's really reassuring. Um, And if somebody's like, I haven't got time to read, there's no way I'm going to be doing that, or I don't like reading, or I'm dyslexic, or I struggle reading, there are other options. You know, I guess a podcast could be a good way to start drip feeding a message. It could be a way it's free. Um, you could get a little bit of an idea of support in an area. And then when you're ready to delve into either a book or a or an audible book, that, that's another option. The other thing being an audible book is another way to do it. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. I have friends, two sets of friends in that category. I have friends that are dyslexic who listen to Audible. 
and I have uh, mums who have kids and they just cannot get peace and quiet because <laughs> the kids are causing noise in the second they wake up in the morning. So having Audible for them is an absolute joy. Um, Audible is wonderful. I mean, £7.99 a month to improve your life. I mean, we're not, we're not asking for thousands of pounds here. We're talking £7.99. It's one of the smartest investments you will ever make in life or spending, you know, £10 a month reading a book. You know, find the time. If something's important to you in life, you'll find the time. Just watch less TV. Don't look at your phone every seven minutes to see who's liked your Facebook post or Instagram post. You know, people who are not just successful in life, people who are happy, they don't look at their phone every seven minutes like the rest of the world does. People who are happy do not spend two to three hours every single night watching TV. You know, I love Netflix and I do enjoy watching Netflix on a Friday and Saturday night. I do. But that's it. It's a Friday and Saturday night. I don't spend every single evening watching hours and hours of TV. I am reading. I'm thinking. I'm doing charity work. I'm helping people out. I'm picking up the phone. and I'm calling friends to wish them happy birthday. You know, this is what you do in life to create happiness. It's very, very interesting. And I, I must say, with the Audible account, which I also have um, for Audible books, I have been paying that for quite a long time. And each month you pay the monthly subscription and then you get a credit and that credit can go towards any book of any value and they could be 22 pounds or whatever. So it's, you know, it's a great, it's, it's a great deal um, if you, if you really want to do that. And even normal books can be more than that. If you were to buy it, it could be 12 pounds for the book and you're only paying about seven quid. The other thing I found about it is it's accountability. I've already paid for it. And if you stop it, you lose your credits if you haven't already spent them. So I kept it going, even though I wasn't yet ready to start. And I had about six credits left. So I was able to go and buy six books over the next few weeks as I as I came across them and as I was ready for them. And as somebody um, suggested one or it came up on a social media or something or, you know, whatever it was that inspired me to read that book. I was able to have these stores, these credits stored up. So even if I was feeling a bit skint that month, I could still go and get it. And I also was like, but I've got to spend it and I've got to spend it on me in a way that's going to benefit me. And I think that's a really good way of doing it. Whereas buying a book and physically having to pay out each time can be another barrier. But having that where you've already paid, and you've already committed to this self-development um, if that's what you're, you're intending for the books to be, even if it is just quiet time for you and it's just a fictional book. But the concept being that you can um, hold yourself accountable by by having actually paid the money. That, that's very true. And look, don't get me wrong. I'm well aware of the state of the world right now. You know, we've had three months of lockdown and money is tight. And let's be realistic. Even when the world goes back to normal or as close to what normal will look like, it's still going to be tough financially for a lot of people for at least another three to six months after this. At the same time, investing £10 a month in yourself is one of the smartest investments you can make. I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. It's great to hear a guy openly talking about his experiences and mental health. If you'd like to get hold of Niraj, then he can be contacted via his website, nirajkapoor.com or on LinkedIn under Niraj Kapoor. And as always, to get hold of me, follow me on Instagram at incrementaljane or via my website, canidoitmyself.com. I look forward to hearing from you if you want to get in touch. Until then, see you next time.